0: Hey everybody, welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this on a Sunday night. Today was kind of a gray, sort of rainy morning, but it was nice. I uh, I don't know about you, but I like mornings like that, as long as it's not pouring down like crazy. It's kind of nice to just, I don't know, imagine you live in like the Pacific Northwest or something for a while. Um, yeah so today was a really cool service uh i'm calling this one a cow a cow a cow (laughs) which is maybe the silliest name yet but if you listen to the whole thing you will hear why we're calling it that um hannah had a really good message for us she's kind of talking about the difference between god's justice and god's love and where does one start and where does one end and all those sorts of really small questions. <laughs> uh, I have a couple things to tell you about that we've got going on at church in the coming weeks. <clears throat> Number one, a bit of sad-ish news. Um, the 25th is going to be the last Sunday for a couple months for two of our band members, Gianna and Peter. Gianna is the leader, and Peter plays uh, either guitar or bass. They're actually going to Denmark for two months, which sounds super cool. We're all really jealous, but we're going to miss you guys. Um, We can't wait to have you back. Um, In the meantime, have an awesome time in Denmark. You're going to love it, I'm sure. Uh, The 25th is their last day, so make sure that you come on the 25th if you can or watch online. We're going to have a really awesome musical day and uh, just going to try and send them off. Uh, ...in the best way that we know how. Uh, and then the week after, we are going to celebrate the fact that they are no longer here. <laughs> Just kidding. We, um, we've got some cool plans on what we're going to do while they're gone. And it starts right away. Uh, we're going to do something super duper weird on November 1st. Um, we're going to have a stand-up comedian come in. And the stand-up comedian is Jesus jesus is going to perform stand-up on november 1st uh i hope you come and experience what's going to be probably the weirdest sunday any of us have ever had in church <laughs> i'm really excited about it i'm a little nervous if i can be honest um who you know comedians are wild cards who knows what's going to happen he, he might say something offensive even um but hopefully it's all going to be good and positive and uh a good vibe a good mood um all those sorts of cool things Um, i'm really excited about it i want to give you permission to laugh and be silly and have fun that day with that in mind we're going to do some weird stuff with the band too we're going to kind of treat it like a talk show um just kind of like fun music and high energy then the comedian's going to come up and then hannah will probably come up after that that's probably going to be the order anyway i just want to invite you to attend that in person or online i'm really excited it's going to be super weird we're probably going to try and record it and turn it into like a thing um so yeah um that's it those are the two things that we have uh coming up here pretty soon um make sure and go to diff.church on your phone uh connect with us get on our mailing list um let us know how you heard about us um Let us know if we can pray about anything for you. We'd love to lift you up in prayer throughout the week. That is it. Without further ado, check out a cow. A cow? A cow.
1: I should point out that Jira forgot to say something so important about November 1st, which is is it's the day after Halloween. So we're obviously having a costume contest. Dress up and come to church. I will be Winnie the Pooh. You can guess why. I already have the costume, it looks ridiculous. Did you know that they don't make Winnie the Pooh costumes for pregnant people? You just get to buy like a yellow kind of dress on Amazon and then a shirt that's like way too small and squeeze yourself into it. And then if you put some bear ears on, you're magically Winnie the Pooh. You can um, normally, like on the interwebs, people put something on their nose, but I'm gonna be wearing a mask, so is that really gonna be helpful? Probably not. So, I'm gonna get comfortable. Thanks for coming out in the rain. Everyone enjoying the mild drop in temperature that we had last week? <sighs> I'm hoping that the rain all day means it's gonna stay that way next week. As you can see, I'm totally prepared like a real Floridian because I'm wearing snow boots. <laughs> These are the only waterproof shoes that I own. Why I'm wearing them, honestly, i just walked from the car into the building. It's not like I did a lot of like labor outside, but I don't want my feet, okay? Don't judge me. Today we are going to talk about Psalm 103. And uh, I assume some of you have heard Psalm 103, but probably can't recite it. Um, If you looked at me and were like, tell me what Psalm 103 says, I would have no idea. So I give you permission to not know your Bible references, because I don't know them very well. I like to say things like, as it is written, just like Jesus. But we're going to go through Psalm 103 together, and we're going to have a little preface, and then we're just going to go tackle it like verse by verse. So Psalm 103, it's like this handcrafted work of art. Like sometimes we look at the Bible, and we read it, and we're like, yeah, some person wrote that down, and it's in the Bible. This is like a work of poetry that somebody worked very long and hard over. It's not just some words that ended up on a page. The whole Psalm is about the experience of the individual and the community, and they're woven together with affirmations about God's character, and it's a song. So in the span of, we're only gonna cover 13 verses, in the span of 13 verses, we cover God's judgment and how it's overwhelmed by God's mercy. And it's a song meant to be used like in a church service for the worshiping community in Israel. So just like we sing songs before we talk about the Bible, so did the Israelites. They sang songs before they talked about the text. Now, one thing to note before we begin is that the entire Psalm, like much of the Bible, (laughs) uses the masculine form to refer to God, which is totally fine. We have to remember that this was written like hundreds and hundreds of years ago when men ruled the world. still kind of do, (laughs) but that's not the point. The point is we just need to be aware of that. So if you see the word he in the Bible referring to God, that I'm going to use that translation because that's literally what the words say. That doesn't mean that that's correct. It doesn't mean that that's the only way we can refer to God. Um, We know that God is encompasses both masculine and feminine, because both male and female are created in the image of God and everything in between. And yet God is beyond gender entirely. So no matter how we refer to God, we hit dead ends everywhere we go. So don't be concerned if you see the word he used for God, it's not a problem. Um, But if you're only ever used to using the word he, try try the other one, try they, try the divine name that you pick, Um, any word that you use for God. We are not entirely sure when this psalm was written. Some people attribute it to David, who was the second king in Israel, probably the most famous king in Israel for good and bad reasons. But really, we don't know who wrote the psalm. We really don't know when (laughs) the psalm was written and. The verses that we're going to read will sound fine to us, but to the people hearing it originally, these words drew on traditions that they had for hundreds of years. So this is, it would be like somebody referencing the Pledge of Allegiance or something like that. Like we all are aware of this language that floats around in our culture and we're drawing on traditions when we say things like, if we say God bless America, that's not in the Pledge of Allegiance, right? But we know, we know the whole history behind that in our minds. So this is the same for the Israelites. There is a whole history behind these words that they're drawing on to get to them. Like verse seven, we'll cover this, but it's talking about God revealing God's character to Moses when the Israelites left Egypt. Verse eight is a direct quote from the Exodus story when Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and the Israelites are like, he's probably dead. He hasn't come back in a while. Oh no, what will we do? We should melt down all of our jewelry and make a golden cow and worship that instead. And God obviously is a little miffed by this. (laughs) and does not withdraw from the promise that God made to Abraham. Even though God said, had something to be angry about in Exodus, it says in Exodus, God is merciful and gracious and slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. So that's a quote from their literature that makes its way into this song. The whole thing is a reminder to the people who are singing it, of what God is actually like. We do, Need to be reminded after all like to be reminded of what god is actually like and to be connected with each other that's what we're doing here and we're going to go through like bit by bit together so i'll read a few verses at a time and then we'll discuss and then at the end we're actually going to do something really old school which is read the scripture together (laughs) oh you all aren't excited (laughs) so if you grew up in a liturgical church You maybe have experienced this, where the whole congregation reads a passage of scripture together. Or if you've grown up in like a more mystical evangelical church, you may have experienced something called responsive reading, where someone reads a line and then you read a line, and then someone reads a line and then you read two lines. People have been doing this forever. And where the tradition starts, why is it powerful to read things together is because originally, People couldn't read. <laughs> so we have the privilege of reading it off the screen at the end. But remember, at the beginning, only a few people could read the words of the Bible. Only a few people had that privilege to even know what the sacred text said. So when, when a person got up and spoke, and then it was repeated back, that was the only way that the people could participate in the reading of Scripture. So it's this super powerful thing. That we'll get to at the end okay psalm 103 verse 1. let all that i am praise the lord with my whole heart i will praise his holy name let all that i am praise the lord may i never forget the good things he does for me now so the first thing the writer does is kind of turn turn her gaze inwards these words sound nice to us yes praise the lord God is holy. God does good things. Wonderful. This is an echo of one of the most foundational and sacred prayers in the entire Jewish. I want to say text. That's not the right word. The entire Jewish theology. It is echoing Deuteronomy 6 where we have the Shema Israel which is the one of the most foundational prayers. If you've ever had the privilege of being in a devout Jewish household, you may notice that there's something hammered right by the front door, like a little strip of metal or wood or something. And there's actually a tiny little scroll inside. And if you're Orthodox, generally you touch it on the way out of your house or the way into your house. And inside are some verses. And one of them is the Shema, Israel, the most foundational prayer of the Jewish theology which is hear O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you sh- we, may re- we may know the second part because this is in the New Testament. We don't get the first part. Hear O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The second part is found in the New Testament as well because Jesus says it and other people say it, and it is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength. And it's a reminder every time you go in or out of your house Remember the Lord your God. Remember how we should be relating to God. And I think it's a reminder to us, like I have a mezuzah, that's what it's called, the little thing by your door, hammered in my house because all my dad's family is Jewish but I almost never touch it because I'm a bad Jew. Um, Clearly I'm not practicing. (laughs) Um, But it's a reminder of how we should approach communication with God. Like prayer is just talking, right? But sometimes maybe we need to think Before we start in with our list of demands (laughs) or our chatter or our apologies or whatever we're going to say, we can remind ourselves that our actual most basic task is to remember God and love God with our heart and our mind and our strength. So the writer is like reminding herself of this. And remember, this is a song, this is a hymn, she's reminding herself of this in front of the whole congregation in front of the whole gathering actually modeling what it looks like to start this communication with God remember and look inward remember that God is good and true remember the things that God has done in your life remember all the good and what good things has God done she gives a whole list in verse 3 forgives your sins heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, fills your life with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. That's a pretty good list. I will totally sign up for that. I will sign up for forgiveness and healing and redemption and celebration and blessing and restoration. I want all of that. Now, you may notice if you're a Bible nerd We typically use the NLT translation, um, and in the NLT translation, the words me and my appear, whereas what we have on the screen, you and your appear. I think this is an important distinction because I don't like that the NLT limits this to a personal thing. Yes, God forgives my sins, right? God heals me. That's totally true. But this is a song meant to be sung by a group of people. And the the person leading this song for the entire community is specifically addressing everybody in like the second person plural in the Hebrew text, claiming that they have actually experienced these things. It's one thing for a person to say, God has healed me. It's another for me to sit up here and say, God has healed you, right? This is where the distinction is, because it seems like maybe the community needs help remembering God's benefits. Maybe, like us, they're a little tired. Tired of the year. Tired of work. Tired of everything. (laughs) Tired of dealing with their own mental health. Tired of struggling with illness. Tired of having little celebration. Tired of everything. They don't feel like their lives are full of good things. They're having real life. (laughs) So how is it that a community of people who are experiencing real life, how do they relate to God? Do the act the overwhelming positive claims of forgiveness and healing and celebration and blah, blah, blah. Does that actually whitewash what's going on in the world? Are we just pretending? that this is true? Are we just pretending that all these wonderful things have happened and, and our singing of, that, of this is actually meaningless? Why should we bother? Why should we sing happy songs? Why should we praise God when the world seems like it's on fire? Is that even genuine? Is it worth it? Now, if you know me, I'm going to say the only answer I can give you is yes, it is worth it. A thousand times yes. Actually, one of the most powerful things we can do is come together and defiantly say that what the world, what is going on in the world is not the base reality, that there is something better, that that's actually a prophetic voice that we have. But we know... Intellectually, and we know I think emotionally, especially after this year, we do not always experience redemption in constant or consistent ways. We know that things go wrong. We know the pit is real. Some of us have been there. But just as a community of faith comes together to lament, just as a community of faith together comes together to learn or to worship or to do anything else, we come together to remember this is why that prayer is so foundational to the Jewish faith remember Israel the Lord your God remember remember all the times God has saved us and not just us not just me but generations of us our ancestors God has also saved. Like, we might not feel God's hand, like, actively, physically pulling us out of the pit at this very second, but we can remember that our ancestors have felt it, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob felt it, and Hagar felt it when she almost died in the desert, and then God saved her, and Ruth felt it when she chose to make Israel her home, and the whole people of Israel felt it when they were allowed to return from exile in Babylon, And maybe I just listed like a bunch of people that you are not familiar with in the Bible. That's totally okay. It is enough to know that there is a collective memory that we have and that we share in of what God has done. This memory connects us to God and connects us with each other so that when we encounter suffering, not if, when, we know that we never bear pain alone, but also we wait Together for redemption, and we remember that God has worked wonderful things in the past. And I kind of guarantee you, like, the longer you are a personal faith, the more you go down this road, the more stories you will have of God's goodness in your life. Like, ask any person have you ever had, I don't mean the grouchy old Christians, okay, don't ask them, but like, have you ever had just that sweet old lady or that sweet old guy? who just has been following Jesus for 50 years. And they, you complain to them, and they're like, mm-hmm, I feel you, honey. <laughs> they usually call you honey. But they say, but I just have to tell you about what God has done in my life. Like I have lived through this, and I have stories. And if, if you just, I, if you can't hold on yourself, Let me give you something to hold on to. This is part of why we do this together, right? Because sometimes we get together and like, it's not like we recite the Apostles' Creed or something every Sunday. But if we did, I can guarantee you on some Sundays, you might not mean it. You'd be like, I don't really feel like believing this today. I don't really feel like this is true in my life. But we all together can do it. And sometimes you will be the one that says yes and someone else will be the one that says, I don't know if I can say those words right now. Together, we have a collective memory. Live as a person of faith long enough and you'll be the one to remind others of the goodness of God. Verse six, remember this is all about God's character. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. So God gives justice to those who are treated unfairly. It's a very nice sentiment. But even this is an affirmation of what life is really like and what God is really like. For God to give justice to those who are treated unfairly means what? There are people being treated unfairly. (laughs) This is honest. And we can look around our world and be like, I see it. This statement is to provide hope to the community because we're reminded that it is inherent in Yahweh's character to work on behalf of the oppressed, not the oppressor. And Yahweh is the divine name. So you'll see it here, I wrote it without vowels because that's habit because I went to seminary, but usually you might see it as Y-A-H-W-E-H. Yahweh is the divine name for God in the Old Testament. Whose side is Yahweh on? Whose side is God on? Not the people running the world. If God is on the side of the broken and the poor and the desperate and the downtrodden and the powerless, it is inherent in God's character to work on behalf of the oppressed. That is such a hopeful statement. Because if you've had experiences in your life or experiences right now (laughs) where you can look and clearly see that the world is not right, what does it mean when we say this out loud? That we affirm that all the people who have used God's name for things like crusades, that all the people who have used God's name for things like oppression of women, oppression of people of color, um, wars of any kind, oppression of anybody are wrong. They don't know what God is actually like. And the, the writer of this Psalm, the person who's leading it in front of a group of people is reminding them because their life is not great either. We don't know exactly when it was written, but Israel was like constantly attacked by people. So they were always under threat of being taken over until they actually were taken over. Whose side has God on? Not the side of the people with the power. No matter what it looks like in the world around us, we have all the reason in the world to hope. Why? Because, and it goes on, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us or remain angry forever. He does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us like we deserve. His unfailing love towards those who follow him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who follow him. That's good stuff. Even like what we do wrong is not enough to stop the divine love that God provides. Like verse eight, perfect example of this. This is the echo. The Israelites literally building another God to worship. Like if I were God, that would make me mad. Be like Moses, come up to the mountain. I'm going to give you like the rules of how these people are going to live. I literally just saved them from Egypt. It's been a month and they have built a cow. A cow, (laughs) a cow, a cow. Okay, they built a cow, Moses, to worship instead of me. But even that was not enough to make God turn away. In verse 13, it says God acts like a parent, like a conscientious parent is going to notice the mistakes made by their children, right? We don't want any more parents in the world who don't care at all about what their kids do, and they raise little monsters. God clearly has the same knowledge. God has a handle on what we're doing. But for a good parent, abandonment is not an option, right? Your kids may royally screw up. <laughs> but loving them and wanting the best for them and working for their future is always on the table. But Psalm is like super honest. It says, God won't remain angry with us forever. And some people get really squirmy here. Like we don't wanna think about God getting angry or pointing out to where we are wrong. <laughs> because we're wonderful, right? We've never built a cow. Last week we talked about God's anger and how you know people have turned it into this turnover in theology and it's harmed a lot of people. But we don't get to take the easy way out here, right? We don't get to pretend that God has zero reason to ever be angry with us. If the God we believe in is not upset by the pile of crap in the world, I'm saying that for the interweb. If this wasn't live streamed, I'd use a different word. The pile of crap in the world that we have created, the horrendous wrongs, and I know we don't like to think about this, but like, if you turn on the news for five seconds, you'll be depressed. If God's not upset by that, then it is not a God worth following. What are we doing here? If our God is not upset by what we have done, by the ways we have harmed each other and the ways we've harmed ourselves and the ways we've ruined creation, God should be mad about that, right? Like we're, if we were God and we built like a beautiful Lego castle and put some human Lego people in it and then they just burned it to the ground and murdered each other, you wouldn't be upset by that? (laughs) You'd be like, oh no humans will be humans. No, God should be upset by the wrongs that are done in the world. And yet, even though God has every right to be angry, the psalm says it doesn't last and celebrates this. God doesn't give us what we deserve. The most important word in the entire psalm is the Hebrew word that's translated as unfailing love. You'll find it in the psalm four times. It's the Hebrew word hesed, and it's used all throughout the Old Testament to to refer to unwavering devotion, to the type of loyalty and commitment that cannot never be annulled. It's most often used in the Bible to describe Yahweh's profound commitment to us and to every individual, regardless of what has been done. No matter what's been done, no matter what's been said, no matter how we've harmed each other or harmed ourselves, no matter the depth of the pit we find ourselves in, no matter the despair in our souls, no matter what, no matter anything, God has unfailing, steadfast love. And when God enters our space, this earth space that we occupy with a love that we really don't know what to do with, we can't help but be transformed by it. And when I was writing this, I was reminded of a song that used to like bring the house down in the little church I grew up in. I grew up in a very tiny Pentecostal church. Some of you know this. I have my own tambourine. It was very delightful. Like when the song bring the house down, like you might get a victory march going around the church, which is kind of like a conga line, except no one touches each other, and everyone has like instruments and is just shouting. Like, they would just sing this chorus and sing it and sing it and sing it, and everyone would be like, Oh, the crowd goes wild. <laughs> I kind of miss it. Maybe one day we should do a victory march. <laughs> all right, I won't. Okay, I'm not going to make all of you uncomfortable with my Pentecostalness. But this chorus said, Whose report will you believe? That was the first line. And then the whole people would say, We believe the report of the Lord. His report says I am healed. His report says I am filled. His report says I am free. His report says victory. And then we just sing it until everyone like lost their minds. And then you still have like an hour long sermon because I'm not joking. My parents used to bring me crackers because I would get hangry at how long the church service was going. You should be glad this is not a Pentecostal church. I could keep you here. Like, in a Pentecostal church, if the pastor said, I'm almost done, you got half an hour. Like, at least. He would say, one more thing, and I'm closing. I actually will mean that when I say it. Okay? No, he would say it at least five more times. One more thing, and I'm closing. It's the Spirit of the Lord. Spirit of the Lord. No matter what it looks like around us, We have all the reason in the world to hope. Because God's unfailing love is greater and wider and deeper and longer than anything known to humanity. Whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the report on the news (laughs) that says we're hopeless? (laughs) Are you going to believe the report in your soul after you watch the news? And we're like, well, we, this is hopeless. Because God's report says you're free and you're filled and you're healed and you have victory. And to do this is an act of defiance against all the people that say you're worthless and there's no hope and there will never be any change to the systems of oppression in the world. And there will never be any change in our churches. And there will never be any more affirming churches. And there will never be any churches where (sighs) they don't oppress women. And there will never be, just quit wasting your time. Working for change. Whose report are you going to believe? We are going to believe the report of the Lord. And maybe when we get that, when we get that God's unfailing love does not separate, does not break, is not frayed, no matter what we do, maybe we can begin to sing and to praise and to read the psalm Together with our whole hearts, remember the Lord your God. So we're going to do something that I already warned you about. Nobody be shocked. We're going to read the scripture together. Out loud, an affirmation of what is and what can be at the same time. And you can follow along on the screen. But I'll try to go slow. because Sometimes I go fast. <laughs> this is Psalm 103, and we'll start in verse 1. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and steadfast mercy who fills your life with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us or remain angry forever. He does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For God's unfailing love toward those who follow him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who follow him. Let's pray. Holy God, we bring into your presence the fullness of who we are. The hurting parts, the sick parts, the regrets, the murky and the messy, the parts where we have been wounded and the parts where we have wounded others. You see us and you do not turn away. You look at us and your report is good. Your report says we're healed and filled and free. And in the company of each other, we can catch a glimpse of heaven here. Let us go and mend the world together this week. Amen. And we read a hymn, and now we get to sing a hymn. So if you would all stand, the band has a couple more songs, and we'll see you next week.